0: Welcome to the Mechanical Inc. podcast, a collection of conversations about the open-source ecosystem. We speak with maintainers and companies that play a key role in ensuring the health and sustainability of open-source today and in the future. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Interesting Finds. This one's a bit late. It was supposed to go out on the 22nd, but um, the last week has been a bit of a whirlwind, so better late than never, as they say. This episode is a Mozilla Festival or Marsfest special edition. Um, So I've been attending some of the Marsfest sessions during the week. Um, I couldn't get to as many of them as I wanted to because there was a lot of stuff to do with work, etc. But thankfully, most um, of the episodes has been recorded. So there'll be a link to, to the Mozilla Festival website where you can... Access the recordings. And I would highly recommend you do it. I'm definitely going to listen to quite a few of them that I'd lined up um, over the weekend. But let's get into this episode. So, as mentioned, this is kind of a Faced special edition. And the first one I want to talk about is a session I attended that was called Building Ethical Reflections in AI Research Reviews. So, I attended this session and um, when I joined the session, I thought it was going to be like, you know, at a conference, like there's somebody speaking about it and you kind of listen and maybe there's a QA and a at the end. But turns out this was a workshop and um, it ended up being fascinating. I think it ran for you got an hour and a half of maybe, maybe even two hours and it didn't feel like it at all. And it, it was a, just a fascinating look into how research reviews are done. So what do I mean by that? So... What I mean is when somebody wants to do a research study, the idea is that you have a proposal that you have to write and there's a number of questions that you have to answer. And I guess from institute to institute, the questions you need to answer changes, but you know there's a set of ones that you need to, to answer. And then the role of the reviewer is to read this and to ask questions. Now, What happened during this session is that we were introduced um, by a couple of folks uh, from the Ada Lovelace Institute, Chiaro and the University of Exeter, specifically the Data Science and Artificial Intelligence Institute part of it, and then also people from the Alan Turing Institute. And um, they put a really good workshop together. So the workshop happened over Zoom and they used breakout rooms where we did these discussions. Uh, So the the breakout rooms takes everybody in the Zoom and then it puts you into smaller groups uh, ranging between three and five participants. So during the first breakout room session, um, we were asked to reflect on three questions. But um, I can't remember exactly what the three questions were, but what I do know uh, remember is that the first thing that we did is they had, they used Slido, so SLI.do, dot um, D-O and it had a little poll and it asked the question of, enter a word or phrase that describes a concern you have around AI. And so everybody would add that and ask participants, not just in our group, our little breakout room, but all the breakout rooms, as they entered their words or short phrases, it would start building this word cloud. So for those who do not know what a word cloud is, it's essentially all the words that was entered in, but then if a word was entered more than once, it becomes larger, uh, the text becomes larger than the other words, and it potentially also takes up a more prominent color. So the the smaller ones will be small font, but it will also be a lighter color, and the ones that's really kind of like this is a shared concern, those would be bigger, and maybe a brighter color. Uh, And so the the idea was that we would all do that, and then we would look at these topics, and we would discuss some of these concerns within the small breakout room. Then we were brought back to the main one, and there we were basically just loosely discussing, was any of the things in here surprising? and what do you think, like if you entered one of the, maybe one of the words or phrases that was um, very prominent in, in, the, in the word cloud, maybe you could talk a little bit about why this is a concern or maybe dig into it a little bit more. So really, really great to have a conversation like that with other people. And it was very nice for me to see so many people um, being concerned about the same topics. Uh, because I wrote a post, I don't know if it's been a week or two weeks ago now, where I just aired some of my concerns that I have around AI, um, the large language models, and the fact that I actually don't know if I mentioned it in that um, post, but one of the concerns I also have is the fact that there's no real competition for open AI at the moment. And that is not a good thing. Um, I'm not gonna go into that too much right now, but competition is good. Let's let's leave it at that. So that was the first breakout room. Um, so one of the things that came up was this topic of bias. And I think you know, most people that um, read about and think about AI and large language models wouldn't find um bias being a surprising concern. But what was interesting here is somebody asked the question, like what if we accept that bias is going to be part of these systems? How do we deal with that? Because if you think about it, it's gonna be really, really hard to remove bias from these systems. A lot of them has, it's, they've been trained on data, like let's take, for example, GPT. It's been trained on data from across the internet. So there's inherent bias in that data. Um, now, this can get worse if you train a LLM, uh, what I mean by LLM is a large language model. If you train that on a data set that is particularly um, biased in one, way, one direction or the other. Now, how you feel about the direction is gonna depend on your views, um, like what you believe to be right, what you believe to be wrong, and things like that. So that is an interesting question to ponder, right? What do we do if we accept that these systems, like us humans, would always contain bias? What do we do about that? That's interesting. And then, so, Further on, was, is it even reasonable to expect these models to be free from bias? And I, and I, I would think that, you know, we came to the conclusion that no. Um, much like we can't remove bias from ourselves as, as humans, it's going to be impossible to remove all bias, right? But we have to steer it in better directions as we learn. That's one of the things, you know, we, that, that can be done. What, this is one of the things I found fascinating about this specific workshop is it makes you think. It makes you stop and think about a lot of things. It makes you stop and think about things maybe from a different perspective. And I really like that. So the next breakout room session um, was particularly interesting, <laughs> like the whole thing. I, keep, I feel like I keep saying interesting. Um, so for this one, there were six groups. It actually ended up uh, being filtered down to four groups because two of the topics um, didn't have that much interest, and so it kind of went down to only four topics. I linked to a page, um, let me me just have a look here real quick. So I linked to the page that we referred to um, when we talked about about this topic, and it lists all six of these. So you'll find the link in the show notes. Um, But the group I joined was about a VPN app study. So the idea of the breakout session is to put yourself in the shoes of the person that needs to review, approve, or reject a research study request. Um, And while the studies are fictitious, in the link that I will also share, it is based in reality. So the group that I... Was in, we had about 15 minutes to read through the proposal and note down anything that we had questions or concerns about, and then we discussed and raised some of the questions we have and the concerns, and we had a nice back and forth. And then you would go back to the main group, and some one of the people in our group would say, this is what we were thinking about. Now, this VPN study, I'm going to give you the TLDR, the too long didn't read, um, is essentially a research study where the research group is building a VPN app, but other than the usual things you'd expect from a VPN, it has this additional feature where it collects all the data from as you use the internet. But they are interested in social media websites specifically. Um, One of the questions that came up is that it's not entirely clear what they're trying to, what is the question they're trying to answer here or that they're trying to get more information about. It sounded like they they want to understand how people in different places in the world experience social media. So one of the questions I had um, that wasn't answered in the paper or the, the research request is... So are you supposed to, sorry, let me, let me just step back for a second. So the study runs for three weeks. So my question was, would you, use, would you pretend to be from a specific country for the first week, a different one the second week, and a different one the third week? And would it then, for the week prior to the study, would you maybe use the app but not change your country. So you leave it, you connect to the closest VPN endpoint that's in your country. So I'm from South Africa, so I would use the app and connect to a South African VPN server for the week prior, and then for the first week, maybe I'll connect as somebody in the US. Week after that, maybe somebody in the UK. Week after that, maybe somebody in Japan. Um, But I'll use the same social media sites, because those are the ones I use. And with they then analyze the data and see how what I'm exposed to changes depending on which country I'm pretending to be from. So it wasn't clear whether that is what they were trying to do, so that was one of the questions that came up. Now, some of the other questions that came up is, uh, who pays for this? Um, And that is a really important question, and it's it's almost always the first question you need to ask. So you've maybe heard of the phrase, follow the money, um, and it's most often used when referring to election fraud. Um, But there's a case to be made that the source of funding should always be transparent. So let's say, for example, this study that involves social media, wouldn't you like to know? if this study is being funded by Meta, a.k.a. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. Also, the question came up, is WhatsApp considered social media? Because that was one of the other other questions raised because what this study says is, so all of the data that you, uh, all of your browsing data will go through the VPN and be sent to their servers. That's, housed in a secure facility at the university. And as a first pass, there is an algorithm that will filter out anything that, that doesn't match the social media properties that they're interested in. So a couple of questions came up around that, which is, okay, what is the list of social media sites that you are interested in? Because they, in passing, uh, mentioned the the big five, I guess, uh, but said like. So that suggests that it's not only them, there's other ones too. They also spoke about the fact that they're excluding Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp. So the question, and and I can see why Facebook Messenger, because generally that would assume that you're doing... A private conversation with somebody, which is not social. Um, there's a case to be made that you might be contacted on Facebook Messenger um, by somebody you don't necessarily know. And then the question also came in, but what about DMs on Twitter, for example? You don't use a separate app for that. It happens in the same, on the same website or in the same app. So those were a couple of questions that came up. Uh, Some of the other things, um, there was a lot of assumptions of institutional knowledge. So it would often refer to this um, adheres to the security practices of the university, for example. And so if you're a reviewer and you do not work at the university, then this assumes institutional knowledge. So immediately there you'll have questions. Oh, but what is your security policies? So, And then coming back to the whole thing of the algorithm filtering things out on the server as the data lands, that means two things. Um, The first thing is the algorithm itself, which I just discussed. The other thing is it does mean that all the data does land on the server. So there's questions there. The first question that somebody um, else brought up that was a really good point is why doesn't this filtering happen on my machine, so as part of the VPN app, why isn't that algorithm built into the VPN app so that even before it sends the data, it's already filtered out everything that it can detect that is not appropriate? Because this means unless you disable that VPN and you only enable it when you're using social media sites, which I would think would not be what these researchers would want you to do because... Now it's reliant upon you remembering to turn it on and off. They probably want you to leave it on. So that means that all your data goes through. This includes sensitive information like um, when you open your mail, when you do your banking, uh, when you do searches. Um, sometimes you might search for really um, personal things. It means everything you watch on YouTube, is that considered social? So, you know, it's, it's a big, big, big question here. Like on the surface, it sounds like, yeah, it'd be interesting to know, but now you have to think about all of these things. And then why doesn't that filtering happen on my machine, even before it goes to the server? So, and uh, the other thing that we would like, and I touched on that, is um, list all the URLs, because it doesn't sound like this is a complicated algorithm. It literally sounds like it's a kind of regex filter, That you run against the data and say, if the URL doesn't match this regex, then exclude it from from the data set. Now, so how is social media defined in the context of the study? Um, That is one of the things. What about Telegram? What about Signal? And like I mentioned, what about direct messages on sites like Twitter? So that was interesting. The other question was, what does delete mean? Um, Because, for example, if you say delete my account on a lot of uh, social media sites and other websites as well, they don't actually delete your data. A lot of them keep it for six months before they delete, delete it. Um, all they actually do is, in the database, there's a, there's a flag or property that's called is active, and when you delete it, it says is active false, and it might set another um, Boolean to say, or uh, they'd set another property to say, delete on with a date with a timestamp something like that. So the question here is what does delete mean? The other question that somebody else brought up that was a very good uh, question is how about backups of the databases that this goes in? like because the, the reason this came up is twofold. It's just what happens if there's a backup if they if data comes in, the algorithm hasn't done its job yet, and the data is backed up. What happens, does the delete, we assume, would include deleting all the backups. But that's not specified, so you have to ask the question. The other thing around that was, um, as part of the filtering, the algorithm is the first pass. So this, through automation, tries to get rid of the bulk of these things. But there's a human, Phase as well, where a human would go through the data and uh, discard things that's not appropriate for for the research study. Now, it's great that there's human intervention as well, um, but it goes back to the backup situation. What if what if after two weeks they discover that the algorithm isn't actually working as effectively as they thought it would, and now a bunch of people's personal data has been backed up into those backups. Um, again, when, when and how will that be dealt with? Um, the other thing is, how would the human go through this? Like if you think about how, how much data you would produce in a normal day just using your web browser and doing things on the internet. I mean, just for a single person, if I take myself for example, there's a lot of data that I'm gonna be sending through. And also, a lot of that data is not social media related. Now, will these researchers, and it's not like it's 100 of them, it's probably like maybe five, do they have people that that's external to the research study that will be doing this human filtering? And then, um, how are they vetted um, to be to, to to know that they won't be somebody that is open to social engineering, so that somebody can potentially get access to this data? You know, I don't know if, if you don't know what social engineering means. It is a form of hacking, but it involves uh, convincing somebody that. Either you're somebody or not. So trying to convince them that maybe you're a one of the research uh, leads, and therefore they should give you access to the data, but actually you're you have no relation. You're you're whether they call it a bad actor. Um, that's one form of social engineering. So again, the researchers themselves, but then also if they use outside participants to do the f- additional filtering. Um, how do we know that they are going to handle this data um, with the sensitivity it deserves? And how do we make sure that they will, or well, we can't make sure that they're not prone to social engineering, but at least give them the tools to, to be able to avoid that as best we can. That wasn't touched on either. So you can see like such a, a seemingly simple Request gets very complicated very quickly, and the thing is, one might think like, "Ugh, this is this is too much." Um, you're, you're overthinking this. Are we? Um, this is very personal information potentially, you know. And uh, if this, imagine this data set is leaked. Um, sure, it doesn't it doesn't collect keystrokes, um, so. For the most part, your information should be safe. But it does send all kinds of um, internet traffic through it. And who knows what's in there? That could be personally identifiable information. Um, Who knows? Because obviously it's anonymized, like everybody says, but can it be de-anonymized easily? So... I didn't think we are overthinking it. And then I, t- I touched about the fact that it's not particularly clear what the end goal is and also the whole thing of this. They don't really talk about what the baseline is they're measuring against. So as you can tell, there's a lot of questions and there were even there was even more. And I mean, this is in a session of all in all reading the um, research request and talking about it. I mean, we spent maybe 25 minutes on this. So you would expect that somebody that's really going to do this um, as their job um, would spend quite, um, would spend a lot more time thinking through this. So if that's what about five of us could come up with in a span of 25 minutes for this one study, you can see how this is really complicated, really important, and really an important thing to get right, and so I was. It was great to see this, and there's a recording of this. I'd highly recommend that, that you you listen to the, the workshop. The breakout rooms part w- wasn't recorded, but all the where we're in the main main Zoom room, all of all or most of that was recorded. So I would highly recommend um, watching it. So the next one I attended was the Mars Phase Trustworthy AI Working Group Demo Day. And that was really cool as well. I really enjoyed that. Um, so the first app I learned about, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm from South Africa, is Kwannele. I think the whole name is actually Kwannele enough. And the name comes from a book that um, I, I want to read that I learned about in, in this um, Mars Phase Demo Day. And, uh, yeah, it's a hard topic, Um, so I'm not going to dig into too many of the details. I I will say that if you are sensitive to topics such as um, gender-based violence, um, rape, that kind of thing, child abuse, be forewarned that, that this is the core topic that this deals with. Um, so while it's a very important topic, I do want to be mindful that for some people, this is a very sensitive topic. So, um, I want to, to call that out. So yeah. Um, there's some horrific numbers that they shared, uh, statistics in South Africa specifically around gender-based violence. Um, yeah. And they're building an app. I'm, I'm, I've, reached out to to the people who um, run this nonprofit to learn more about it. So I'll have them on in a future episode of the podcast. But um, it's it's an app. It's more than an app, but the core focus and the the funding they need now is to make this app better. And how this ties into AI is they want to use the large language models to be able to explain to people who are in, in need what their rights are in a in a more understandable manner. So they want people to be able to ask questions about the policies and the the laws um, and have the LLM explain it to them clearer. Um, They also want to use the LLMs to potentially just reword this into um, something that more people can understand. so that's the AI angle, but the app contains a panic button. Um, it gives you access to location services for um, when there's an emergency. It has the ability to notify a friend or armed responders. If you need help, uh, there's a video and audio stream you can enable. So sometimes if you're um, in the middle of an event, um, I should not event, it's not the right word. When this is happening to you, um, you might want some kind of proof for when you go to court. And so turning on a video stream or turning on an audio stream to record what's happening can then be used potentially in court. There's also a step-by-step guide of how to get access to help. And there's also a live chat service where you can then talk to um, uh, gender-based violence trained staff. This is not the AI. AI part. This is where you talk to a real human that's been trained to deal with this kind of stuff. So it's a very, very important project. And I also have a link in the show notes on how you can get involved. The next project was called Bountiful Futures. Um, And so this is about as artificial intelligence is being integrated into more and more products and services. The lack of knowledge and understanding of these tools is a big problem. There are also problems with inherited bias and inaccuracies, as I've touched on before. So the goal of this initiative is to establish a peer-to-peer community that promotes better AI literacy and collaboration among experts and various stakeholders from diverse backgrounds. Now, through the use of bounty programs and hackathons, uh, these participants will work together to develop tools that identify and correct bias. I'm not going to go into the details of how you do that, but... There there are ways that you can influence the model and steer it in the correct direction uh, and other unintended consequences of AI that can have real-world impact. Now, by joining the community, um, individuals can contribute to the future of AI and its potential for positive change. Because with all my concerns, I think my concerns comes out of the fact that this could be a good thing, but if we don't do it well, it can go really badly and that would be unfortunate because there is a lot of potential here. Think the internet for the last, what, 25 or more years. You know, there's a lot of good but there's also a lot of bad Um, and thankfully there's been people to think about the bad on the internet and trying to address it. We've not solved it by any stretch of the imagination but at least people are aware and talking about it. And we should take our learnings from that for this new evolution, if you will, and not make the same mistakes. So I've linked to um, an early MVP they have of one of the tools that they've made. And you can also connect with the project lead, Maddy Shang, I hope I pronounced her surname correctly, on LinkedIn, and I have all the links in there. The so last one that I'll talk about today is, was from the AI Futures Lab. And um, again, they, they are concerned about a digital divide. I've mentioned that in the post I wrote about my, some of my concerns about AI. So the AI Futures Lab is actively working to engage with and educate young people concerning AI. Right now, their focus is on learning about what initiatives are happening across the globe, um, who leads these initiatives, and how is the larger community being included in this process. Um, So you can connect with them through LinkedIn. Again, links are in the show notes. And there's also the AI Public Perception Survey, which is a global survey that aims to let the unheard voices from the public be heard internationally. And you don't need any experience in AI or IT to fill in the survey. I'm still trying to find the survey link. It was shared in the Zoom call, but the one I have didn't work. So I'm following up with the folks and I will I will update the show notes as soon as I have it. Hopefully by the time you hear this, I would have already added in there. So that's all for this episode. That was a lot. I do have some links to additional reading that's related tangentially or directly to MouseFaced also in the show notes. Some of them is about... Lies, Damn Lies, and Carbon Calculators. It's a catchy title, but it touches on more than what the uh, title seems to suggest. So I would recommend you reading that. The Complicated Road to Open Source Sustainability. There's a link to the Common Voice Project from the Mozilla Foundation. Um, There's a podcast episode link called Accessibility and Green Software. There's one about the European Commission funding for open source federated cloud platforms. There is an interesting talk, um, You Are Not a Parrot and a Chatbot is Not a Human. Very interesting one. And then there is a a link to a news article where um, there's an interview with the CEO from Signal who said we 100,000% won't participate in the UK law to weaken encryption. Um, There's also a link to there is no standard investigations find AI algorithms objectify women's bodies. So yeah, there's a bunch of cool reading um, and a number of other links there, so I recommend you uh, go through them when you have a moment and also a link to the Mozilla Festival website so you can go and check out all the amazing things that's happened during this whole week. I hope you found this interesting. and I'll speak to you very soon. And we'll be back on a normal schedule by releasing every Wednesday starting this Wednesday, which will be the 29th of March. Until then, have a lovely week and be considerate in everything you do. Speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Mechanical Inc. podcast. Join the conversation on Discord. All the links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode... Please like and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have a moment, please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, as this helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners.